Today's scripture will be coming from John 1, 43 through 46. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. You receive invitations all the time. How do you decide whether or not to accept an invitation? Scripture is filled with heartfelt invitations from God to you. He invites those who are exhausted, curious, searching, or in need to find what we need most in Him. Will you accept the invitation? You're invited. That's the series that we are in right now, looking at some of the appeals in Scripture that invite us into a relationship with Christ or invite us to leave an old way of life or invite us into something new and exciting that is the kingdom of God. It's an important series for us to look at because God constantly has appeals for us, encourages us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't manipulate us. He simply invites us. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, probably even if you're an aunt or an uncle, certainly if you're a teacher, then you have heard these words spoken by a child. Come and see. You know that, don't you? The child grabs you by the hand and takes you to see something that he or she is so excited about, something that they're working on, a painting they did, maybe a gift they've been given, something that they bought with their own money. It's a new toy. It's something that they want you to see. And embedded in that invitation to come and see is all of this excitement and joy, all of this uh, anticipation and expectation that you will share in that joy as you see what they are talking about. Come and see. But also, that invitation can mean more than that, can't it? Besides the embedded joy and excitement and anticipation, come and see is also an invitation to come and see for yourself, to examine the facts, to look at the evidence, and to make up your own mind. Sometimes we need to see with our own eyes, don't we? Maybe the first time you ever saw an ocean was when you were an adult. Can you remember the very first time you saw an ocean? You stood on the beach with the sand moving through your toes and you felt the waves come in and go out and how beautiful it was. Now maybe growing up you had heard about the oceans and you knew that there were beaches and even people you had talked to, maybe even in your own family, had been there and they told you stories and showed you pictures, but until you saw it with your own eyes, it didn't mean as much, did it? I remember that's how it was for me in the Grand Canyon. You know, I'd seen pictures in my middle school earth science book. <laughs> I had heard people talk about the Grand Canyon and go on trips to the Grand Canyon and put their carousel of slides up on the slide projector and show you pictures after pictures of the Grand Canyon, but until I was in my mid-twenties and actually stood on the edge of that huge crater and just observed the vastness of the Grand Canyon, it wasn't that real to me. 
You see, after I saw it with my own eyes, I had a personal context. Yeah, I've been there. I've seen it. I know what you're talking about. I can relate to you. And so besides the joy and the excitement of the invitation, come and see, there is this inherent appeal for you to see for yourself, for you to examine the evidence and make up your own mind. John's gospel in the New Testament is a constant appeal, a constant invitation to come and see. In fact, at the very end of John's gospel, we've looked at this before, John tells us as he's inspired by the Spirit of God why he's writing all of these stories about Jesus, all of these eyewitness accounts. He says in John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's almost like John again, inspired by the Spirit, has arranged these stories and these accounts, and with every story, with every miracle, with every teaching, with every sign in John's gospel, he is saying, come and see. Come and look. Come and listen. Listen to Jesus' words. Understand his teachings. Hear how he teaches with authority. Watch how he heals this person. Look at this miracle. Notice what he's doing. Notice what he's all about. John is saying, come and see Jesus. And after you see Jesus for yourself, after you examine the evidence, you will sense the joy that I have. And more than that, you can make up your own mind about who Jesus is. And so we go from the last chapter in John's gospel all the way to the first chapter. If you have a Bible, look at John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we are introduced to someone named John, not the one who wrote the Gospel of John. We call this John, John the Baptist. He had one job, and his job was to point people to Jesus, to prepare the way for Jesus. And I want you to notice what he says about Jesus to the people around him. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. I love that title that he gives to Jesus. He doesn't say, look, here's Jesus. He doesn't say, look, here's my friend, Jesus. He doesn't say, look, here's a prophet, here's a rabbi, here's a teacher. He says, this is the Lamb of God, the one who will take away the sins of the world, the one that we've been waiting for, the anointed one. Verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So Jesus is recruiting his first disciples. He comes across some of these men and they want to know more about Jesus. And they ask him a very logistical question a very specific question Jesus where are you staying and what does Jesus say come and see 
Come and check it out. And so that's what they do. They come and they end up doing what? Spending the day with Jesus. They spend the day with Jesus. They had heard about the Messiah. They had read the law, the prophets. They knew their Hebrew Bibles. They had read the stories. Maybe they had even heard stories about Jesus. But now in this moment, on this day, as they spent the day with Jesus, they got to see him with their own eyes. And it forever changed their lives. The same invitation, come and see, is actually mentioned directly just a few verses later in the same story. Keep reading in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What an amazing story. It's more than just Jesus getting some recruits to come follow him as his disciples. I love the invitation that is embedded in this text. Jesus, first of all, invites Philip to follow him. And Philip finds Nathanael, who we also know as Bartholomew. And what does he say to Nathanael? We have found the Messiah. We've discovered the long-awaited anointed one. He's the one. But when Nathanael hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, that doesn't align with his expectations. That doesn't make sense to him. Nazareth, that doesn't sound right. First of all, Nazareth is a one-stop sign town. It's a tiny little place. What good would come from there? What, what's, what could be so significant that, that Nazareth would be the place of origination? I mean, you know, they just got a dollar store and a Sonic last week. There's no way the Messiah could be from Nazareth. And I love what Philip says and what he doesn't say. How does Philip respond? Philip just says, hey, come and see. Come and see. You have questions? Those are good questions. Come and see. Let's go check it out. Come and examine the evidence. Come and experience what some of us have experienced. Come and talk to him. Come and listen to him. And just like that child who is filled with joy and anticipation, who can't wait for you to share in that excitement, it's almost like Philip is saying, hey, come on. You'll, you'll see. You'll see what we see. You'll be excited like we're excited. But at the same time, as we said, it's an invitation to, to check out the evidence, to make up your own mind, to see and make a decision. Come and see what you think. Shouldn't that be the church's invitation to the world? Shouldn't that be our message to the world around us? Hey, come and see. Come and, come and encounter Jesus with us. 
Come and see Jesus with us and hopefully in us and through us. Come and and open up God's word. Come and experience worship. Come and see the heart of Jesus. Learn about the Messiah who came here from his heavenly father because he loves you so much. He loves you so much, he takes you right where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to transform you into something better. Come and see him. Come and learn how he lived his life. Come and see what was important to him. Listen to his teachings. Watch how he did all these miracles. Come and see. I think that should be our invitation to the world. You see, an honest invitation like this to come and see It shows that there is nothing to hide. It shows that there is nothing here that that we need to protect from you seeing. God can handle the scrutiny. God can handle the questions. It's not our job to protect or defend God. He doesn't need that. We simply invite people to come and see. You know, if you're buying a house, that's what you want to do, don't you? If you're buying a car from someone or from a dealer, you want to drive it. You want to kick the tires. If you're buying a house, you want to walk through the house. You want to check it out. And eventually, you even want to get it inspected, don't you? Can you imagine if you're going to buy a house and the people showing the house said, we're glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Look around. But a couple of things. Don't look in the master closet. Just avoid that. Probably don't want to flush any of the toilets today. Don't do that. And I know that looks like a blood stain in the carpet in the living room, but just ignore that. <laughs> right? You'd, you'd have some questions, wouldn't you? That's not the house viewing you want. You want full disclosure. You want to know there's nothing to hide. You want to know that you can see with your own eyes everything you need to see. I think that's how it is when it comes to God and His Word. They can hold up to scrutiny. God doesn't need us to make excuses or to answer every single question. Just let people come and see. Let people read the Bible. We don't have to tiptoe around hard questions. We don't have to give canned answers. We don't have to defend or protect. Did you notice what Nathaniel didn't do? Or what Philip didn't do when Nathaniel asked him, basically asked him, how could this be the Messiah? Did you notice what Philip didn't do? He didn't defend. He didn't feel pressured to give the right answer. He didn't map out a logical response as to why Nazareth could be the place of origin for the Messiah. He didn't just say, well, because God says so. (laughs) And he didn't quote 20 scriptures out of context to try to wear him down or convince him. What did he do? He simply said, come and see. Let's go see. Let's go check it out. I think that's the invitation. You see, come and see leaves space for exploration and examination, for self-discovery. It acknowledges that there is wonder and awe in a relationship and in an encounter with Jesus. It opens the door for honest searching and hard questions, which lead to learning and faith development and ultimately owning one's own faith. You see, sometimes we just need to see for ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we can hear the stories about the ocean. Yeah, I know they're there. I've seen the maps. (laughs) I know that other people have surfed and fished and played on the beach, but I need to see it myself. 
Sometimes we just need to see it for ourselves. It's the same invitation the angels gave Jesus' mother Mary and Mary Magdalene when they came to his tomb. Matthew's gospel says that an angel came down from heaven and moved the stone away from Jesus' tomb. And then the text says the angel just sat on top of the stone. I like that detail. The angel just perched himself right on top of the stone. Was he, was he resting because, you know, that was a pretty big job? Was he just taking in the moment? What was he doing? I think one of the things he was doing is he was waiting. He was waiting on these ladies because he had an important message for them. Matthew 28, verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. The angel knows. This story I'm telling you, it sounds absurd. It sounds outlandish. It sounds too extreme to believe. So I know you're going to need to see with your own eyes. So just go in there and take a look. Go in there and peek. See for yourself. Examine the evidence. We can hear about something, and we can hear other people's experiences with something. But until we hear for ourselves, (coughs) excuse me, until we hear for ourselves, we're just borrowing someone else's experience, aren't we? We're just living off secondhand experiences and stories. And I think when it comes to faith, unfortunately, too many of us live with a secondhand faith. We never really own our faith because we haven't really ever opened our eyes and seen for ourselves. We haven't done the hard work of asking difficult questions and thinking critically. We haven't taken the time to examine the evidence. We haven't allowed ourselves to have a personal encounter with Jesus. I think this is especially true sometimes when we're growing up and when we're young. We're trying to bridge that gap from a borrowed faith to our own faith. Young people, listen to me for a minute. This world is going to tell you a lot of messages. This world is going to tell you a lot of things that resonate on some level with you. Things such as, hey, you just need to find your own way. You just need to live your own truth. Stop searching for absolute truth that does not exist, so you just be true to yourself. And sometimes the world's going to say, don't look to Christianity for your answers, because Christianity is old-fashioned. Christianity is exclusive. Keep your options open. Find your own path, because ultimately, all paths lead pretty much to the same place. The world is going to give you, already is giving you these messages. And as the world gives you those messages, we as parents, we as, as, as your church family, we as concerned others, it scares us, to be honest. Because we're afraid that you'll lose your faith. Never mind whether or not you have developed a faith yet, we're afraid you're going to lose your faith. And because we're afraid, we don't often respond in the right way. We respond in ways that, that's, that don't encourage questions that don't encourage searching. Sometimes we dismiss your questions. Sometimes we give you canned answers like, well, because God says so. Because the Bible says so. But if you're struggling even to believe the validity of the Bible, and I say because the Bible says so, how does that help you? 
You see, our job is to teach you. Our job is to open up the scriptures with you. Our job is to help you understand who Jesus is and what God is all about. That is our job. But through all of that teaching and through all of that modeling and through all of those efforts and all of those conversations, really our job is to say, come and see. Come and see. Examine the evidence. Ask hard questions. Maybe questions that we don't have an easy answer for. But we want to ask with you. We want to search with you. And we want to explore with you. And we don't have to defend God. And we don't have to protect scripture. Because it can hold up to scrutiny. Believe me, whatever question you have, others have had the same question. But don't do the easy thing and just give up listening to the message of the world and then having these questions about God and faith and the Bible and prayer and just say, well, I don't know and no one will tell me. You do the difficult work of asking those questions as we all should. Owning our own faith, experiencing Jesus personally. You see, that's what God does. He invites you to come and see to open your eyes to who he is, to what he's doing, to what he's up to in this world. And really, that is the life of a Christian, constantly looking at and looking for Jesus, constantly going back to him and saying, Jesus, who are you? What does this mean, this this circumstance, this decision, this situation? Running that through the filter of the cross of Christ and the teachings of Jesus observing his life, experiencing his death, celebrating his resurrection. Back in the story, Nathaniel takes Philip up on his offer and he says, okay, I'll, I'll go see. Let's go, meet, let's go meet this guy. And he does. And it doesn't take long at all for Nathaniel to see Jesus is something special. He's no ordinary person. Yeah, he may be from Nazareth, but forget what I said earlier because he is the one. In verse 49, that's what he says. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I love Jesus' response to Nathanael. You see what he says? In verse 51, he says, Yeah, you, you, you say that because, because you've seen me and you, you heard me say that I saw you under that tree. It's almost like Whatever, whatever that meant, that Jesus saw him under a fig tree, maybe Nathaniel thought no one could see him, maybe no one could see him, but Jesus says, I saw you. It clicked for him. And Jesus says, you know, you believe because you saw that, but you're going to see even greater things than that. And he has this reference to Jacob's ladder, Jacob's vision of this heavenly stairwell with angels ascending and descending. And and Jesus says, you're, you're going to see greater things such as angels ascending and descending. You see, what he sees now, it inspires great faith, but it's nothing compared to what he will see someday. And, and that's good news for us. That's extremely good news for us. Because what we see now is a dim reflection of what we will see. That's especially important for us because unlike Nathaniel, we don't get to put our eyes on a physical Jesus, do we? I mean, how many times have you wanted Jesus just to appear in the flesh? Just so you could talk to him. Just so you could ask him your questions. Just so you could know that he is, in fact, real. And yet we don't have that blessing. 
We don't have that opportunity. Our vision, in some ways, is limited. However, we do have the Gospels, stories that were written, inspired by God, by people who did see Jesus, who did listen to Jesus. And they believed it so much that they preserved these stories. And they passed them down from one generation to the next. And now we have these stories. Not fairy tales, not fiction, historical accounts of Jesus, the Lamb of God. But it'd be nice to see him, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to see him with our actual physical eyes. Now, back to the end of John's Gospel. Right before John gives us his purpose for writing, you remember earlier, chapter 29, I'm writing these things so you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Right before John tells us that, he tells us one last story, one last encounter. It's an encounter between Thomas and the resurrected Christ. You probably remember the story. It's where Thomas gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas. You see, Thomas had probably heard stories of Jesus being resurrected. The other guys were talking about it, but he needed to see for himself, didn't he? He says, until I touch those nail scars, until I see with my own eyes, I'm gonna reserve judgment. And what does Jesus say to him? Basically, Jesus says, come and see. Touch my nail-scarred hands. Put your hand over my side and feel the wound. And Thomas does that. And when Thomas sees for himself, and he knows, he declares his faith in the resurrected Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Chapter 20, verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. We haven't been able to see with our eyes. We don't get the privilege of touching Jesus' nail-scarred hands so that our faith is confirmed. And yet he says, you're blessed because you see with different eyes. You see with the eyes of faith. You are invited to come and see But the truth is, you can't see everything with your physical eyes. Not every good and difficult question will find a satisfactory answer this side of heaven. Not every injustice you see in this world will be explained before eternity. Not every situation that you come across or that you live in we'll have a nice, neat, canned answer that makes sense of it all. That's just not the way it works. And by the way, that's not the way faith works. Why is faith needed if every question has an answer? Why is faith needed if every belief is confirmed by sight? No faith is needed at all. What did the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Faith is being sure of what we hope for, confident of what we hope for, and having this assurance of what? Of the things that we can't see. The things that we can't see. There's a man named Eric Ryanmeyer. He describes himself as an unrealistic optimist. And I think that's the case because he is the first blind person to ever 
to ever climb to the summit of Mount Everest. Now he works with charities and he does consulting in businesses and they ask him what time, what kind of, what kind of people do you like to work with? What kind of teammates and partners do you like to have in, in charity work and in business and that kind of thing? And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, I look for people who are unrealistic optimists. He said, you hear people say seeing is believing? He said, I believe the opposite. Believing is seeing. He says, you have to start with something that you believe in. You have to have a good reason to believe it. And that drives your actions. That drives your life. He said, I can tell these people pretty quickly because I'll just ask them, hey, do you want to climb Everest with a blind guy? <laughs> he says, those who believe, you'll know pretty quick. Come and see with your eyes. Listen with your ears. Reason with your mind. But this side of heaven you won't see completely. You won't see everything clearly. You'll only see a dim reflection of what is to come. And just as Jesus told Nathaniel, what you see now should be enough for you to believe, but it doesn't compare to what you will see in eternity. So this invitation this morning, come and see, which side of this invitation do you find yourself on? Maybe you're one who needs to hear this. Maybe Jesus is extending this invitation to you and he's simply saying, come and see. Feel the excitement, share in the joy of a personal experience, a personal encounter with Jesus. Come and, and examine the evidence. Ask the hard questions. The gospel will hold up to your scrutiny. God can hold up to your questions. So ask away and do it in a place where you're encouraged and people walk alongside you and by the way are asking the same questions. Okay, but what if we don't get answers to those questions? You may not get every question answered. But why would you need faith if you had every question answered? So maybe you need to hear the invitation. Maybe it's time for you to receive the invitation, to accept the invitation, and to surrender your life to Christ, to give your life to Christ in baptism and in faith, knowing that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lamb of God, that he has taken away not just the sins of the world, but your sins. Do that today. Respond to that invitation. Maybe you need to extend this invitation to someone. Maybe that's the best thing you can do for someone in your life right now, is simply to say, hey, come and see. And maybe that means literally coming to church or coming to your class or joining you in a class fellowship or a service project or, or maybe it's inviting them to open up the word of God. Come and see. Learn about Jesus. Let's learn together. Certainly it means doing it with them. Maybe there's someone that God is leading you toward and you need to offer this invitation. Come and see. And do that with the joy and the excitement that that child has when he or she grabs you by the hand and says, you gotta see this. Isn't this neat? <laughs> That's the kind of excitement that we should have about the kingdom of heaven and sharing Jesus with a lost world. If there's something we can do today, we want to encourage you. 
In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor, a room right behind me. You can go there. They'll pray for you. They'll encourage you. They'll listen to you. Or you can come down to the front. If we can pray for you today, let us do that. And if today you're ready to give your life to Christ, do that. If we can help you, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing. Let's stand.